0: So we're sitting close to the on deck circle. Second at bat, he comes out and he's using us. And that was the first ever major league in a real game to be used. And it was Bryce Harper. And my hands started shaking and I couldn't even video it because it was like, I, I was literally praying, dear God, please do not let him shatter this bat. I don't care if he strikes out. I don't care if he hits a shot 500 feet. Just please don't let him break it.
1: This is the Team of a Lifetime show. I'm your host, Sally Love, and I have helped hundreds of leaders in industrial manufacturing, construction, and on capital projects of up to $24 billion transform their failing or mediocre teams into exceptional teams. Teams that delivered results that people didn't even believe were possible. And that's what the Team of a Lifetime show is all about. Success stories, successful team approaches, and lessons learned to help you transform your team into the Team of a Lifetime. I had the pleasure of talking with Matthew Rollins, owner of Anchor Back Company. Anchor Bat is located less than three miles from my home in the upstate of South Carolina, and my grandsons, who are both baseball players, absolutely love their Anchor Bats. So this was truly a special conversation for me. Matthew, along with his dad, Eddie, have built Anchor Bats from a mere dream to the success story that it is today. And in our conversation, Matthew shares insight about the rewarding but quite difficult journey they've been on in crafting premium baseball bats, which are used in recreational leagues and the big leagues all over the world. Matthew, I'm really looking forward to our conversation about baseball and specifically your journey and the turning points that you had in creating Anchor Bat Company. So welcome.
0: Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to it and really appreciate the opportunity
1: when did your love for baseball begin?
0: Wow, that's a great question. And honestly, it's one to where I could say I do not remember a point in my life that I haven't been around the game. And not just around the game, but actually loving the game. Like I have, from some of the first pictures that my parents have that hang around their house, has me with a baseball bat. My dad played the game. And it's just been something that has really been with me as as long as I can physically remember. So I would say almost from day one.
1: Wow. If you don't mind, just tell me a little bit about your baseball history. What do you remember about when you first got started actually playing the game? And then just walk me through what baseball has been like for you.
0: Yeah, and it's it's really interesting to see how much the game has transitioned and changed in the past. I would say maybe 15, 20 years at the most. And what I mean by that is the opportunity that exists now for high school and, and lower from the perspective that there's literally tournaments that are going on every weekend. There's kids that play hundreds, plural, of games per year at a young age. And I don't know if that's a great thing or actually a little bit of a, a travesty, but but it's something that is everywhere. and. When I played, it was very seasonal. And now I played the game continually. But from a game perspective, it was you play recreational ball during the spring. And if you don't play another sport, there might be opportunity in early to late fall. And that was the cycle, and it was always, man, I can't wait for baseball to start. I'm really sad when it ends, and now it's just like it never starts, and it never ends. It's just a an ongoing cycle. so with that said my my games were from a like a recreational perspective when I was younger, there was no such thing as travel baseball. I remember that my senior year of high school, they had started what was called travel ball and A lot of us that I grew up with and the parents of my friends were like, there is no way we're paying money to go play baseball and to go travel and do it. This is just a money trap. And to see, and I'm, I'm not 100% positive if that's not actually the case, but it's just changed in such a great way. I played all growing up from as young as I can remember from t-ball through high school, then played college baseball, played a little bit professionally. And it's just been one of those things to where it's been a love-hate constant relationship. When the game tells you that it's no longer time to play baseball and you need to go do something else, um, you either take it really well or you don't. And honestly, I didn't take it well. And it was one of those things to where I honestly was bitter toward the game of baseball from the from a business perspective, from the professional side of things. So it's just it's been one of those things at the purest sense when kids are young and they're out there just having fun. I, I think that's what America's pastime is about. It's just been such a unique cycle to see it from a playing, from a long as I can remember. To when it stopped for me personally, and then to see how different the game is now in the perspective of opportunity for young kids and their parents. It's just, it's really been unique to to sit back and watch.
1: Yeah, I'm older than you, and I can remember baseball being exactly what you said. It was a spring sport. And then our oldest grandson became a baseball player and started playing travel ball. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. This is year round. This is no longer just a spring sport. And so that was a real eye opener for me because I wasn't expecting that.
0: Yeah, it's, it really is still something that I end up adjusting to even today. It's like, because people will say, hey, when is a downtime for you guys? And I'm like, there really isn't one. The game is never stopping. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it is what it is, but it's definitely something that's been unique to be a part of.
1: So after you played baseball growing up and high school and college and then professionally, what did you do after that? When you stopped playing baseball, then what were you doing?
0: Entered the corporate world a little bit, did a couple different jobs. I was at a company that was in performance and research for about, for almost 10 years. And that was my first like actual opportunity from finishing playing baseball at a young age my wife and I had just been married and it was my first quote real job and it was still around the game I I worked for a company with some professional athletes that owned it and so it, it still gave me a little bit of that of that itch that I had to be around it but not close enough to be a coach or something to that perspective and then from there that it really started to say hey how can I get myself closer to the game without Um, specifically coaching because I'm not, that's not in my makeup to be a coach. So it's, you know, it's been a little bit of a a process of going out into the real world, making, you know, what people say, hey, make your paycheck, live your life. But I thought there was a little bit more missing.
1: How did you know that there was something more than what you were doing for 10 years?
0: I think a little bit of it was... Even from a young age, I've had an entrepreneurial spirit about me, and I didn't know even what an entrepreneur was. I had really no clue of that because that was never taught to me or any kind of words that were spoken. But even in like high school, I would get 20 or 30 yards that I would cut people's grass during the summers and even early fall into early spring and make money. And my parents were, hey, if if you want something, go work for it and you can, you can purchase it. And not like food, but like a jet ski. If you want a jet ski, go work for it. So even at a young age, it was like, all right, if I buy a $2,000 lawnmower and I get X number of yards, I can make $8,000 and I could buy a jet ski. So that was my That was even at a younger age was in my mindset. And it was one of those things to where I've always been like that. So anytime I've sat, especially for the one company that was at the longest, it was always just, man, I would love to do something on my own. I would love to, I don't know, just life is short and I didn't want to be at the same place, although it was a great company and great opportunity. But I just, there was an itch within me that felt like there was more.
1: Okay. So you just know that, Hey, I've got to do something with this. So what was the turning point? Was there some big event or was there a, just, you know, how did you make that decision that I'm going to do something different? I'm going to become an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah. And that was a, that's a great question. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer, have faith in a, that's part of our journey that my family walks and I met with a pastor who was more like a mentor at the time. And he said, hey, let's develop this funnel and let's start putting stuff in the top to where we ultimately want to have your ultimate goals come to. And it wasn't to be a bat manufacturer. It was just, there were a little bit broader things. And, and in doing so, he was like, at some point, you're going to have to jump off, get this thing going. And whatever it is in life, and we weren't even speaking about a, a bat company at the time, specifically. and over the course of about a probably a 12-month period, it really started to zone more and more into a bat company. It was like, all right, connections that we've made, a long life's journey, things that we're passionate about, things that we're good at, because my, my dad's a really good craftsman, and we both have a uh, pretty heavy dose of OCD and perfectionists within us. And that's something that you need to make a good product. We started talking and dreaming what that looked like. And one of the first things I did before we said, hey, let's give a bat company a go. But when we thought that was a really good, I'm not even going to say opportunity, but we thought that was a really good chance of what we were going to take a risk on. I called every bat company that I had ever personally used and or even heard of. And said, I introduced myself and said, I would love to come see your operation and speak with you about becoming a bat manufacturer. And much to my surprise, a lot of people said, "Yeah, sure." The closest company is probably a little over five hundred miles away, and so we hopped in a car, drove to Philadelphia, then we drove to New York, then we've driven to Louisville for Slugger, we've driven to Tennessee, we've driven out west. It's really been something, and and those people probably never would have met with me had they known that we really were going to do this. But they helped me develop a business plan. They helped me stave off some things that we probably would have done that I learned from their mistakes. So really after about six months of that, it came to a place. I was at a company making more money than I've ever made. N- nothing outlandish, but just for me personally, it was the most that I had made at that point in my life. And my wife and I were like, okay, let's just save for another 90 days. If I can get this one project to go through, we can make X number of dollars. That'll give us another three months as a family. So there was just this constant, hey, we can just get through this next project or get another project and make the commission off of that. And then there finally came a point to where I was driving to work and I called my wife, I'll never forget it. And I was like, hey, I think today's the day. And she was, what do you mean, today's the day? And I was like, today's the day I'm going to go in and tell them that I'm done. And she was fully supportive and said, yeah, that sounds great. I went into my employer and said, hey, thanks for the opportunity. I'm going to do something else in life. And I didn't tell them it was going to be a bad company or anything like that. And they were like, okay, you caught everybody off guard a little bit. But it was one of those things to where a lot of times we preach faith, not have faith, but we were always trying to build up a nest egg to where it was like, we don't know how soon we're going to be successful. So let's just save for another 90 days. And it it was going to come a point to where three years down the road, it was never going to be enough. And we were going to be in the same loop of dreaming about it. So it was like, hey, you know what? Life is, it is short. And let's just go all in and see what we can do. It just festered up to one moment on a drive to work prior to eight o'clock in the morning and just was like, we're going to do it. Let's just do it. Today's the day and the rest is history.
1: That had to be an exciting day. Was it also a scary day at all?
0: Absolutely. It was scary and it was, it was nerve wracking and I didn't want to do it because there was going to be no longer a quote steady paycheck coming in. And this is an industry where people had told me you better be prepared to not make any money from a profitable perspective for ten years. And I was just like, there's no way. How in the world could you not make money for 10 years? And a little more than five years in it, I'm like, I can completely see you have to get to a tipping point within the industry. And there's a certain part to where you can start taking some market share and start becoming a recognizable brand outside of just the upstate of South Carolina. And so it has been something where it's been a very humbling experience we've done. Uh, we've sacrificed everything as a family to, to get to the point that we're at. We still have a long ways to go, but we've done every oddman job you can possibly think of just to keep the lights on. And it's not for everyone, and that's okay. But it's been something where, like without the support of my family, wife in particular, there's no way after six months she could have been like, listen, this isn't paying the way that we need it to. We need to all just go back to the real world and we can do something like this, but not today. But I've never heard that out of her mouth. And she's been incredible. It's a family thing within Anchor for sure to keep us going and and have us to where we are today.
1: So how did y'all choose the name Anchor? Anchor Bat Company?
0: I can remember vividly. We wanted it to be something to where it combined with our faith, but not so in your face to where it's the Jesus Christ Bat Company or something to where it's really almost like a crutch more so than part of your fabric. And we were driving my wife and I, she's from South Georgia, a little town called Tifton. And one day we were like probably 90 days in trying to come up with a name. And because you can't come up with a logo until you have a name. So you can't really do anything until you have a name to a large degree.
1: Yeah, that's true. And
0: we were driving down and I told her, it's about a five hour drive. And I said, listen, by the time we get to Tifton, Georgia, we're going to have a name. And she said, we've been trying to come up with a name for three months. What makes you think we're going to do it today? I'm like, it doesn't matter. We're going to come up with a name. So she literally had, a, we had a Bible in the car and she was just sifting through and this cornerstone. And there were like certain words that popped up. And we're like, ah. And we wanted it to be something. It was important to us to have something to where the logo could transition to any country from the perspective that, You know, whether you're in South Korea or Japan or uh, Australia or here in the states, Dominican, wherever it might be, you could see it and it be a symbol that is somewhat relatable, no matter where you're at. Uh, With that said, the name Anchor came up, and we're like, Yeah, I, I, I like that. Let's write it down. And then 20 minutes later, it just kept coming back and coming back. And then by the time we got to about Macon, Georgia. Um, I think it was Perry, Georgia to be exact. But once we got about right there, we had said, hey, what about Anchor Bat? And we liked the name just Anchor in general. And then I called my dad and said, hey, what do you think about Anchor? And then after we solidified that, and that was it. I was ready to go.
1: So I'd love to know a little bit about how you find the wood for these bats. Because these are premium bats. So they've got to be premium wood that you're using, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's been something that really came about to to a degree with, with going out and speaking to other companies. And there were things that people were really close to the hip about, if not wanting to share, like what kind of finish they use or certain parts of their process, which I get completely. But we were like, you can't just Google, where do you find wooden baseball billets? It's really hard. And there's only a couple of places in the United States that are really up to speed with the regulations that the we have to deal with the u.s forestry commission and major league baseball and a third party group called tico that we have to go to training for to talk about all of the qualities and quality control and components of the actual manufacturing component within making a bat and there's a lot more science than i thought would be needed at the beginning and it it's a little bit overwhelming but Anyway, we found a couple of mills that are in the Northeast, both of which, oddly enough, are within the Cooperstown area. So we we think it's ironic that the wood is coming from the place that every player ultimately one day hopes to end up in Cooperstown. And that's where we're, in essence, getting our wood from. Not not all the wood is harvested from Cooperstown, Mm -hmm. but it's all from that region. It has something to do with the soil and it, It's important for it not to grow too fast, but not too slow so that the wood can be straight. And I don't know, there's a lot to it. In any way, it comes from specifically in the Northeast. And even if you're making bats in Japan, uh, the majority of the wood comes from the Northeast of the United States. Hmm. Um, And there's a couple other pockets here and there, like in Canada, Canada a little bit in Japan, but 90 plus percent of all all the wood that's used professionally speaking comes from the Northeast. And it's a very niche market for sure. And, but it's been something to where it was a major learning curve, but we've halfway figured it out, we'll say.
1: I think y'all totally figured it out personally, but I think you're being very modest about it. What is it like when you see a major leaguer step up to the plate with an anchor bat?
0: That's something where when I played baseball, whether it was stupidity or confidence or something in between, I didn't get nervous. I would have some good butterflies, but like when I am walking up to the plate, I never felt like the game was bigger than I was capable of handling. Now, obviously, I wasn't too good, or I would still hopefully be playing, but it was one of those things to where I felt like I had control. When you see a player using your bat, you have no control. Like, in that moment, I have no control. And I would say it was a divine moment that, so my wife and I and daughter, we were in Atlanta um, at the Braves game. And they were playing the Nationals. And a player who was with the Nationals at the time, Bryce Harper, was one of the bigger names or maybe arguably the biggest name in the baseball. Um, We knew we had our bats. And we were very green getting into the major league market. And those guys, they don't really buddy up with you to begin with because they don't know if you're going to be just a a one-and-done type knee or if you're going to be something that is sustainable. So they don't waste much time with you. And that's fine with me. But we knew we had our bats. So we had no guarantee that he'd be using them by any means. First at bat, he was using another company. And we're sitting only six to eight rows off the field. So we're sitting close to the on deck circle. Second at bat, he comes out and he's using us. And that was the first ever major league in a real game to be used. And it was Bryce Harper. And my hands started shaking. And I-, I couldn't even video it because it was like I, I was literally praying, Dear God. Please do not let him shatter this bat. I don't care if he strikes out. I don't care if he hits a shot 500 feet. Just please don't let him break it. And it's one of those things to where we, it's it's a natural product and anything can happen. You can break it on the first swing or you could break it on the 10,000th. But in that moment, I was just praying uh, very steadfast that he, that God would not let him break that bat on his first swing. But it was something that it was really cool to experience. And I don't want to dramatize it too much, but I, I think my wife might have even had some tears rolling down her face because it, it was like several years at that point of hard work. And for us, number one, to be there. Yes, the, you
1: were there.
0: Yeah, we were there and we had no knowledge. So we definitely feel like it was a divine intervention that he allowed us to be in that moment and see the see the harvest of what we had sown for several years at that point to get to that moment. So it was really neat. But yeah, and so outside of that, it's been cool to see guys hit home runs and you know, we've I think we've had a couple of walk-offs with guys using us and
1: so how have you grown personally by leaving corporate America and becoming an entrepreneur and owning anchor back company
0: a lot of it's just how to handle stress and scheduling my life a little bit better. One of the first things that I would love to do at some point sooner rather than later is to get rid of my cell phone and get someone else to pass, pass the baton because I think I actually turned it off for this call but as of this morning I had 162 text messages largely from numbers that I didn't know and it's just spread to where it's like, oh, I've got the guy's number. And they don't even know me, but they're like, hey, I'm out of Jupiter, Florida, or hey, I'm out of California, or hey, I'm out of England. So it's been able to compartmentalize things a little mm-hmm. bit better, say no to to people. And people get frustrated. We live in a society of instant gratification. I've had people that like, I, I texted you. I'm like, it was 20 minutes ago. And
1: <laughs> oh my goodness, 20 minutes like, ago, yeah. you are working on making some premium bats. Yeah, it's,
0: <laughs> so it's one of those things to where I think it's shown me that you have to take care of yourself and your family, even if not from a financial perspective necessarily, but just from allowing this not to consume us so much to where because there's always going to be another bat, there's always going to be another order. And as long as the company's inexistent, those are going to be things that that are it's never ending. So there's not like a project that we're done with and we can take two weeks off. It never ends. We have to take care of ourselves and our family, or otherwise, we're like, what's the point of what we're doing?
1: I have one last question for you. Would you do it all over again? Would you start Anchor Bat all over again and why?
0: Cool, that's a good one. It depends on which day. Um,
1: <laughs> okay, today, today with uh, all those text been, messages waiting for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, today's been okay, so I would say yeah. But in, in all seriousness, I would do it again, and I would start Anchor again under different circumstances. That would be the case. But I think in life, we learn more from failures and from trials, than we do for, from success. Mm-hmm. For me to to go and say, oh, I would do everything the exact same. I think that would be foolish, but I wouldn't know what to do differently had I not gone through the trials and tribulations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we would do it again.
1: Matthew, I just want you to know that we are so proud of you in this community. I live and work only just a couple of miles from where you're manufacturing acrobats, And this community loves you. We're proud of you. And I just want to thank you for being here on the podcast today.
0: Thank you so much for the opportunity. And we really appreciate the support of the community and friends and family that we've built along the way of this journey. That's been something that's been one of the most unique things that I think we didn't necessarily think that would happen. So it's been awesome and we really do uh, truly appreciate that.
1: Hey, thank you for being here today on this important conversation. If this was valuable to you, will you share it? And let me know what questions you have about developing exceptional teams. And you might just hear your answer right here in the future. Join me next week for another episode of the Team of a Lifetime show.